first, a little disclaimer. We are prefacing a lot of the appeal of this podcast on the fact that we're prosecutors. However, we need you to understand we are not doing this podcast in our professional capacity as prosecutors. We're doing this as people after hours on our own time with our own equipment. Now, we know a lot about the law by virtue of what we do, uh, but we're also just interested in true crime. So our opinions and commentary in this podcast are not the opinions of our office or our employer. They are not our professional opinions, and nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice or anything other than three friends blowing off some steam together. So with that in mind, don't try this at home. You know what it is. This is Joe. And Cheryl. And I'm Ray. And this is No True Bill. Today on No True Bill, Raymond is going to finish up part two of the trouble in Massachusetts. A Judy Chop! So what Ray fucked is. around and lost 20 minutes, and then you fucked around and lost us 10 more. Look. <laughs> Are we it, ready? I don't. Yeah, okay. we're going. Ray. All right. Tell us is. a story. Okay. Cheryl's wanted a story all Tell me a story, That's Ray. She keep right. talking about. She wants so, a story. So last time we talked about old girl Annie Dukin. Yeah. Today, at the at the Hinton State Lab in Boston, right? Boston. Today, we're going to talk about Sonia Farrick. Mm-hmm. She was a chemist at the state lab at UMass Amherst. And she done fucked up also. Mm. So background briefly on Sonia Farrick. Mm-hmm. She was born in San Diego. Uh, dad was in the Navy. Vagina. Whale's vagina, indeed. Yogging. Um, dad was in the Navy, transferred in the 80s to Rhode Island. That's where she grew up. Mm. She was a tomboy, first female in Rhode Island high school football history to lace up the cleats. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Played uh, offensive and defensive line. Okay. Wow. Game breaker. Graduated high school in 1996. Was co- hey, me too. Co- co-valedictorian of her class. Well, she's smart. She went to Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Western Mass. She you studied that right. Holy shit. Studied uh, biochemistry, graduated with high distinction. Mm-hmm. She enrolled in the PhD program at Temple, uh, Met Temple Medicine, mm-hmm. and after a year was like nine about this. Mm-hmm. So then in 2002, uh, as we talked about in the Annie Dukin um, episode, back then the state labs were run by the Department of Public Health. Mm-hmm. So in 2002, um, she gets a job through the Department of Public Health, working at the same Hinton lab in Boston, where she, I guess they didn't exclusively do, because it was the, the Department of Public Health, it wasn't just straight up criminal case, drug testing, DNA mm-hmm. testing, whatever. She was working on- um, Paternity tests. HIV tests. Oh. And I guess after a while, that just became so repetitive, you know, blood sample, positive, not positive. She just was like, I can't do this anymore. So in 2003, after about a year, she uh, sees a posting at the Hinton lab for a drug chemist position, which she applied for, uh, was accepted or hired. At at Hinton? At Hinton. So we got overlap between these homies? uh, That's 03? No, no. Mm. I don't believe so. Um, I think Dukin came on 
board later. I could be wrong about that. I'd have to double check, okay. do a little cross reference. Mm -hmm. But um, what if Dugan was hiding in her spot? Maybe, maybe <laughs> that would be that would be outrageous. Mm -hmm. But so the the It'd be like the uh, what, what's the on the uh, oh. Oh, on Harry Potter. What's that it's position? Their defense against the dark. Oh, yeah. Arts. <laughs> Keep anybody in that job. It's like our abuse uh, and neglect attorney always called it. it the defense against the dark arts. <laughs> That's That's Nobody wants that job. A different person every year. So they're at the Hinton lab and the, the drug section, I guess she is one of approximately 13 chemists who um, test all of the submissions for the eastern half of the state. There are two evidence custodians there. It's pretty, pretty tightly run operation. Um, for now. After, right. But after about a year, she says the cost of living's too high. It, it just it's pretty strict here. I don't know. I think a lot of oversight, at least back then. And I think I might prefer to work at the lab at Amherst. Um, so she got a transfer and she started working there in 2004. It's immediately noticeable as a far more relaxed environment. Hmm. Um, the, the people are friendlier, um, much smaller. There were four employees in the drug section rather than like 15. Mm -hmm. Um, it looks like three line chemists and then one sort of supervisory chemist who I think also served the role as kind of the, the intake or evidence custodian. And, um, really they kind of. They obviously occupied the lab space, but they didn't really work together much. They okay. just kind of were, they sort of coexisted in the same building. Autonomy. Yeah, more or less. Um, and it really was, you know, Boston's the state capital. It's, it's the most populous area in the state. And then you've got all the way across the state, about a hundred miles due west, you've got Amherst, which comparatively is kind of a backwater mm -hmm. and Apparently, back then, their annual budget was about $300,000, which was essentially enough to cover the salaries and, like, keep the lights on, mm -hmm. you know, pay the utilities. They really did not have great funding. Um, but nevertheless, despite that sort of funding deficiency, they had to handle all drug testing for the western half of the state. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, Joe hit that compressed air right quick. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they they had to handle uh, the western half of the state about three thousand cases a year for three analysts, um, and you know within those those cases there were upwards of sixty thousand separate pieces of evidence of, of drug suspected drugs that they were tasked with testing yearly. Yes, that that sounds like a lot. It do sound like a lot, don't it? It do. Um, Sounds like they need your girl from from the other lab. Yeah, they need it. to put Annie out she west. She needs some of that dry labbing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so really, just kind of generally speaking, the, the, the protocols, the safeguarding of all variety of things to include something I'd never heard of until this documentary. And I almost want to call like our lab and be like, I know y'all seen this documentary. Mm -hmm. You got the same thing. Mm -hmm. So apparently they had this refrigerator that housed these things they called national standards. Basically, they were just big containers of pure drugs. Dope. Yes, pure Super dope. dope. Super dope. <laughs> and they supposedly needed, I, and I, maybe this is customary, but I just fundamentally don't understand it. I guess sometimes they would take their submissions, the, these from the police, 
and compare them to the standards to the super dope. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I'm pretty confident that in the history of chemistry, y'all can say, okay, under a microscope, this is what meth looks like. Right. Or this is what cocaine looks like. You don't need to have big ass vats of pure yayo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I don't, I don't get it, but apparently. Hey dude, they got all those numbers. They got to get all that stuff done somehow. You bro, dig? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> to fridge dreams. And uh, that's right. So they, had really lax standards, generally speaking, as far as far as security and so on, and that included this fridge of of standards. You're they supposed did. to refrigerate your drugs. I don't know. I, I don't know, but I mean, I don't know. Should we? We should interview a drug dealer on the podcast. Yeah. Do you keep your weed in the fridge? I mean, it is vegetation. I don't know. You keep your salad in there. I, I guess. I mean, and we is, had that one guy that had pot in his freezer. Yeah, I was gonna say freezer. I've heard of. Uh, but I mean, <clears> that's I mean, why you keep the liquor too. That's where you. That's where you keep the drugs. You're going to save for later. Mm-hmm. You're going to use it. You should probably put it in the fridge. Let it, let it thaw out. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's like meat. Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey that Dominic that was their general practice. They kept it in this fridge, I guess. And freaking fridge. Um, anybody could get into it whenever they wanted. They didn't seem to. There was no procedure for routinely auditing the amounts what? Like inventorying nothing they just had this big fridge and of all the super dope 50 different kinds of super dope we talking just like a standard g whirlpool deal like no combination lock kind of a setup apparently but. i mean i don't know it honestly in, at least in the uh in the documentary it looked more akin to like you know when you roll up into say uh Starbucks or something and they got that little like refrigerated area that's open on the one side and you can just reach in and like pull out a muffin or something it was like one of those jumps and it just had a <laughs> like a display case more or less like a cool display case you just roll up in it and you guys look at our drugs what would you like to I would have? like a little bit of that and a little bit of that we have 50 different kinds to choose from and it's like the Baskin Robbins of dope. Yeah, right. right? But you can see, they, they're like thirty-one flavors. Get out of here! We I want a waffle cone. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, so, old girl um, decides. You know, like I said, she transferred out to uh, Amherst at about twenty fourteen. Decides. Um, well, uh, my coworkers are at lunch. I'm here by my lonesome, and I'm curious. And what have you done? I, I accidentally hit a button. It stopped for like four seconds, but it didn't matter. Okay, good. It's back. Oh, all right. I was like, and have we not been recording this whole no, time? No, no, we were recording. And we just, there's a <laughs> couple Second. seconds okay, well, where it goes away. So okay. yeah, 2004, she transfers. 2005, her homies are at lunch. She's by herself in the lab. And she says, I'm curious. And so <laughs> she goes over to the standards fridge and she decides, mm, liquid meth oh good choice and she she gets a a a pipette and she helps herself to a couple little little drops of the uh liquid meth decides she feels amazing it gives her the pep she was looking for Mm. and then she dutifully goes back to her desk and continues going doing work that day yeah and uh, basically productive AF. Oh, yeah, probably super productive. But then um, the uh, use, as you might expect, of, of meth starts to progress. 
and it, it wasn't just a one-time thing. No, as it's no, known no. To happen, she uh, it starts to become a daily occurrence that mm. she's using meth um, at the job. She starts just doing it at the job, but then or on the job, but then she starts taking drugs home, doing the drugs at home too. Uh, wakes up in the morning, needs the drugs to get you know th the day started off right. Um, and then it it's it's multiple times throughout the day at work, and oh, she sounds like a spiraling situation. From 2005 to 2009, she's pretty well sticking to a, a drop here or there of this meth. But there's only so much meth in the super dope fridge, right? Right. But there's no inventory process, and like I said, I really don't understand how this worked because. Presumably, Nobody if you have the, the standards, well, in. that's what I'm saying. Presumably, if you have the standards and you need them, people would also need to retrieve them and go, oh, hey, we're out of meth. But apparently that never happened, which leads me to believe, like I said at the outset, you don't need it. You don't need it anyway. But for whatever reason, they had it. Mm. And then the only person who ever looked at it and manipulated it, apparently, was Miss Farrick. And so for four years, she pretty much used up all the liquid meth. And uh, and it's Wow. Okay. And then she mm. decides. This story, I, I mean, it, it's it's going to snowball. I, I don't, at this point. I don't, it's snowballed a lot already. Yeah. I don't understand why educated people who understand what drugs do to people mm. get curious and think, oh, I can just use it the one time. <laughs> you saying dope's only I, for dummies, Cheryl? Is that what you're no, saying? I'm just saying. Why would you, I, I never would be like, you know, I'm curious about this meth over here. Mm. I think I'm going to do some. Because I know what will happen. Right. Yeah, well, and she talked about how um, in, when she was in college, she was curious then and, and wanted to experiment. And I don't think ever really bit the bullet. Uh, but then, you know, when she's got this endless supply of drugs at her fingertips, I guess one day, yeah, curiosity got the best Temptation of her. Temptation is yeah, too much. Yeah, that's right. That apple was just sitting there. And um, so then By Apple, you mean giant refrigerator of, of all the dope. Um, so, yeah, for from 2004 to 2009, nobody ever looks at any of these standards. Everything's cool. So for years, there's no meaningful oversight. Then in 2009, the supervisor at the lab, Jim Hanchett, says, you know, I'm going to do a. Uh, I think I'm going to do an audit. See, oh. see how we're doing on our standards. What's going on with all that? Just give it a look-see. And she naturally panics. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is extremely true. Um, but yeah, so she panics and decides that, oh, shit, the meth bottle is basically empty. What do I do? I'm going to fill it up with water. Okay. So she fills it up with water back to the level it was before she started to manipulate it but i guess this meth is more akin to like an oil mm. so it separates mm. and hanchet her boss sees that it separates and goes well damn i guess that's what happens to old meth and throws it away and never asks any additional questions what? wow <laughs> i Guardian guess that's Angel. what happens to old meth yeah he's like can you believe that the shit went bad let's throw it out get a new standard Isn't we'll he get a, a scientist I guess, yeah. That, I, that's the scientific method at its best. Oh, yeah. would, would you look at that? Spoiled. Spoiled. Yep, spoiled mess. It's ruined. It's ruined. <laughs> it's ruined. <laughs> spoiled I get that out of here. 
And uh, can't have this bad meth. <laughs> no, not in the standards fridge. Damn it. And I might get the, the chronology messed up on some of the uh, the the the, the, prog- the exact progression of the drug consumption. But wow. um, so she dodges that bullet. Time marches on. Now the uh, I don't know how oh, quickly. She doesn't just but walk now out on meth- top. Now her meth supply is also gone. Right. I don't know how long it takes to replenish, to replenish? the meth supply. So she goes, well, I got to find a fix. Uh, so she goes to the regular amphetamine standard. Mm. That does the trick. And then I guess that one was already fairly limited. So she goes, all right, how about Coke? And um, wow. so by 2011, she's using and high on the job basically every single day yeah and she she starts to well so okay and she says by this point in 2011 she had exhausted the standards for methamphetamine amphetamine and and ketamine oh and then the powder cocaine started to not cut it anymore so she started to uh dabble in crack And she talked about oh. how she was. Ain't nobody looking in this fridge. Yeah, right. Nobody. All nobody. the drugs are coming up missing. Ain't nobody, nobody. looking at anything. Not and so one. she talks about how she was not particularly good at smoking crack at first. How she had An never acquired skill. Yes. Hmm. About how she'd never been a smoker in any respect. And so she was trying to make like a, a pipe to smoke the crack with uh, from aluminum foil. And apparently that was very difficult. So she learned that if she just broke the tip off of some of these pipettes, these glass pipettes, she had a perfect crack pipe. And she talked about how she learned to, you know, put like uh, the, the, the um, copper wire mesh stuff in there to act as a filter and so forth. And she she learned the ropes of being a crackhead. And um, huh, she doing this at work. Where in the lab are you smoking crack, shorty? Well, where where is that going down? Just breaking off pipes left and right. She up on a roof. She so in the stairwell. She would go. She would go to the janitor's bath. closet. She, she right? would go to the bathroom. Sometimes she people would think go she out. have IBS or something. Yeah, they they were like she sure gone a lot, and she would go out to her car, and then she got more brazen with it, where she would start. She started smoking at within the the laboratory workspace. And because they had in the one area, they had like a uh, an exhaust hood sort of say thing. An exhaust hood. I was waiting for it. Yeah, they did. Um, and so she would just rip, you know, crack in in this exhaust <laughs> hood thing, and uh, to get to handle the fumes. This is entertaining, terrifying, right, and sad. It's yeah. it's a trifecta. Um, and so that's 2011. It's like somebody who you're like you can't smoke inside, so they just open the window. Yes, yeah, exactly. Blow it out, blow it out the bottom. That's what she was doing, but it was crack in a drug lab. And uh, so then she's more or less depleted all of the standards, and she's like they they're not getting just inundated with um. Other, you know, basically, so she's running out of drugs, essentially, is what's happening. So by 20... She's going to start smoking the evidence, right? By 2012, she learns to manipulate... So basically, the way I understand it was they were kind of just in a a queue 
to randomly receive, you know, on rotation, the, the line chemist, they would just receive in sequence the next submission from whichever agency. Well, apparently there was some way that she learned that she could manipulate who got assigned which samples. And so every time real big samples came through the door, especially for crack and, and things of that nature, she would, or even the powder cocaine, she would assign it to herself. Ordering her drug of choice. Mm. Yes. And then she, so that would ensure that she would be the one to test it. And then therefore she could skim part of the sub, uh, submission from law enforcement to use for personal consumption. Um, and then therefore when she realized, oh, okay, I've got this gravy train of continuously incoming dope. I don't have to steal from the standards anymore. I don't have to worry about getting caught. Mm. So isn't that kind of like going from <clears throat> five guys to McDonald's though? I mean, you had yeah, the standards. That's true. That's true. I mean, well, know? yeah, you probably get the stuff that stepped off the street. On. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, but you do what you got to do. And so McDonald's better than no burger at all. She, what she would do to, you know, the standards are out the game now. And what she's doing to avoid detection with the samples submitted by law enforcement is she's skimming a portion for herself and then replace. Well, she's running tests on the drugs as they come in saying, okay, this is Coke. She's doing the test faithfully. And then she's skimming some for herself mm -hmm. and then replacing it with some inert substance that looks just like dope. So the weights are right, or at mm. least close enough. It doesn't she's look- She's sending broken cashews back to motherfuckers? Mm. Yeah, pretty much. She's Leonardo Johnson and everybody out here. Real, real quick aside, just a legit question. Like, after the police send the dope to the lab, W would you guys expect that when the dope comes back or whatever to go into evidence that they're gonna that they weigh it again or look at it? I just like when they get it back. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I wouldn't think so. I don't I think, think so either. But a better safe than sorry. Yeah, you're right. You don't. They definitely weigh it before you send it. Yeah, and I mean they know you're gonna consume some for testing. For testing, mm -hmm. but. I don't know. I don't even know if I'd know how much they'd consume for testing. Shit. I wouldn't have no. any idea. No. She could probably just said, consume we use that for testing. For testing. Yeah. That's true. That's what I would say. But I mean, depending on how much of it she took. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and so by this point in time, to, speaking to how much she took, by, by about early uh, 2012 or so, she's smoking crack at work, taking hits 10 to 12 times a day. Get out. <laughs> at work. Oh, how is no one noticing this? I don't know. These labs, man. And so then by mid to late 2012, her addiction is spiraling out of control so badly that wait for it. Mm -hmm. Wait for it. I'm wait waiting. for it. This waiting. is my favorite part of the whole thing. Here it comes. She decides we are not getting enough crack or meth. Or, or these harder, you know, quicker acting drugs, but we're getting a hefty amount of powder coke. So she starts to no. cook crack no. at her workstation. No, she came in one weekend. I, she took. They talked. Oh she talked my about God. She talked about how one time they got a, a. She saw that there was an incoming kilo of powder, and that ain't enough. And, That's not how she wanted it. And so she. I don't know she's in a laboratory. She took out of that Let's kilo. Do a science. For herself, she took a oh. hundred grams of powder, and on like a Saturday, went in there and cooked <laughs> crack just, at her desk. I, 
Wow. <laughs> right? Wow. Right? <laughs> I mean, she's resourceful. Yeah, I'll give her credit. I mean, she went from not being very, you know, not even knowing how to smoke anything to I'm cooking crack. You're cooking crack. Oh, out here fitting to catch a felony. Oh, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. She's trying real hard. Um, so now we're so at January things. of 2013. Mm -hmm. And the lab super... I hate, I hate that there's so much more left to go, I feel. This <laughs> right? is terrible. And, and well, actually, no. Whew. So the, the lab supervision... Well... Yes and no. Mm -hmm. The lab supervision by this point, I think it, I think I said with the Duke and stuff in, in 2011 was when the police came in. The administration of the labs went from the Department of Public Health to the Massachusetts State Police. Mm -hmm. So here we are now in January of 13. MSP is running the show. And um, basically what happens is. There's a woman by the name of Sharon Salem. She's one of the chemists. I think she might be one of the supervisory chemists. And she goes to the dude running the drug section, Jim Hanchett, and says, hey, um, more or less, there are two samples that I can't find. I can't account for them. So she goes to Hanchett. Hanchett, I guess they start to do a little bit of digging around themselves in the lab and they realize what they believe is going on and they're like, holy shit. And they take it to um, Jim Connolly, who was the he was a major in the state police whose job it was to oversee both of the labs. And when they tell Connolly. Old boy doesn't fuck around. He was, mm -hmm. I like, I don't know. He said he was a, he was a homicide detective for the state police for 20 years. And then he got promoted to major. And then they were like, okay, you do the labs now. Mm -hmm. um, kind of looks like uh, General Mattis. It was, it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> General Mattis with like a Massachusetts accent. Oh, okay. I'm here for it. Yeah. And so they tell him on this day, yo, here's what we have found. And what they learn is um, they can't find in either the sort of more permanent evidence area of the lab or in the temporary kind of in the works station area. Mm -hmm. They cannot find these two samples. So they go to Farrick's desk and underneath they find this like rubber tub that has what appears to be a bunch of fake cocaine. And they find a manila envelope that contains within it the two samples that are missing. So basically they found these two plastic bags that were cut open. They, they had been tested. They had the initials on them, like the, you know, the, to, to depict or denote when they were tested and so forth, mm -hmm. everything checked out, but they were for whatever reason cut open and it just looked weird. And I guess they had some sort of material in them. So Hanchett took some of the powder that's, in these bags sitting right next to what he almost immediately identifies as what appears to be fake Coke mm -hmm. and tests some of the stuff. And lo and behold, it comes back no controlled substance. So immediately they're like, this bitch is stealing drugs and, and putting, you know, fake. putting, putting fake drugs back in the bags. Yeah. So they tell uh, Connolly and that day there's a Lieutenant detective in the state police. Where's Farrick? Where is she? Where is she? Mm. Because same day, Major Major Connolly says, "I want this looked into," and Lieutenant 
I can't recall her name off the top of my head, Robin something. She's like, gotcha, boss. And they're like, where is this bitch? And they can't find her. And lo and behold, they, they realize that she's actually in court in one of the jurisdictions in their uh, half of the state testifying in a drug case. Huh. So they wait for her to finish, do her thing. And they, uh, this, this lieutenant, state police lieutenant, um, goes ahead and speaks with her. And, oh, I forgot to mention, in this little tub, they found not only the stuff that appeared to be fake Coke, they found what was uh, later identified as candle wax, soap shavings, modeling clay. Uh, I never, I don't, I'm going to mispronounce it. Is it a pestle? Uh, mortar and pestle? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And a crack pipe. So basically she had all of these different substances that would, these fake would imitate yeah. real dope and just whatever she needed. She had a little, you know. Uh, well, wow. crafting and station. Yes, yes and, pretty much. Yes. And the crack pipe for when she needed a little pick-me-up. Right. Yeah. Man. Um, so they basically, uh, this lieutenant finds her at the courthouse and uh, she agrees initially to, to speak with them. And they say, well, so we found um, these <laughs> issues. And um, the jig is up. She goes, yeah. is there any reason there might be a crack pipe under your desk? <laughs> and she goes, you, go, you know anything about that? You think there's a crack pipe under there? There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be. And then she was like, well, that is true. She yeah. says there, there shouldn't be. And then she says, I think I'd like to stop talking now. <laughs> so mm. um, they, they get a search warrant for her car. And in their car, they find some cocaina. Mm. And uh, she is arrested. And she is immediately charged with two counts of tampering with evidence and one count of possession of cocaine. And now remember right like so this is where we're going to transfer from what happened at the lab to what happened after she gets caught right annie dukin got popped for her stuff in almost october of 2012. it was uh september 28th mm -hmm. ferrick is arrested on january 18th of 13. so we got like bam, bam. four months of, of wow. separation Three, four months of separation between imagine? these Conley two. Conley was probably off. like, not again. Just, uh, that yeah. major is about to start having heads roll. Well, no wonder he was so quick to the jump yeah. on. Right. That get must somebody have been, up in there. Yes. Yeah. And, and they weren't Problem playing. solving immediately. Yeah. We are getting after. Uh, quick question. So with the other broad mm -hmm. in the, on the east side. Yeah. It sounded like there had been some hubbub within the lab, people kind of trying to blow whistles, blah, right. blah, blah. Then the police came in, took over the lab, and they're like, hey, let me tell you about this girl. I think she's doing bad things. Was any of that going on at this lab? How do you have a coworker hitting a crack pipe 10 times a day and you don't fucking, you don't know something's up? Right. You don't know. Up. Well, there's dope missing. It was Tina. Like, how do you, <laughs> how do you not? Right. I don't know. Was there no, any talk about that? No, at no all? none whatsoever. I mean, they did talk to a couple like they they played excerpts of some of the interviews that this lieutenant did with uh, co-workers where they talked about, well, you know, she did sometimes seem to be gone for a long time and like longer <laughs> than you would expect to rock a deuce um, and like more frequently, like maybe she did have IBS or Crohn's or something. But uh, no, 
a suspicion that she was manipulating drugs, smoking crack at her workstation, cooking crack at her workstation. No, no none of they, that. Nobody mm-hmm. was on to that. She pulled it up. You know, some people can do it. I've heard of professionals. I mean, even, you know, pharmacists. It's true. Mm. Lawyers. Lawyers. Um, so, yeah, basically, you know, by this point now, you've had three, four months of the Dukin media fracas to, to right. work its way out. I mean, that is in a full frenzy, that story. And then now you have this chick at the only other major state oh. crime lab coming in January of 13. This is from a criminal justice perspective, a law enforcement perspective, like the worst PR. It's lightning striking twice. Yes. It's burning yeah. everything down. Oh, they so. were probably even like, thank God we have one lab. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's, oh, it isn't tainted. It is okay. it's, it's legitimate. Yeah, right. but nah, no, not so much. <laughs> False. So pull that rug out. The um, the local district attorney's office that was in the geographic area of the Amherst lab decides we can't prosecute this. It's too much of a conflict for us. You know, we take, I don't know how many of these cases and particularly considering that there were only three or four chemists in that lab doing the testing for all of their cases. Yeah. You know, there was 25, 33% chance Sonia Farrick did their testing. They were like, all right, we're not touching this. So it goes to the state attorney general's office for investigation and prosecution. So the attorney general at the time, Martha Coakley, almost immediately. <laughs> what? Everybody in this case was Coakley. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Know, that is true. <laughs> so uh, she she gives a press conference quick, fast and in a hurry mm-hmm. about this Sonia Ferret case and is pretty clear in saying that the charges and the misconduct is limited to the two detected cases of, of manipulation but why would you what? say that when you don't know that why right. would you say that well that's <laughs> people are going to call that dry labbing right I'm that's lying right they're going to call it lying uh, oh yeah so she she i mean obviously at that point no one knew the extent of it of, of either the tampering her addiction nobody knew anything they knew that well they had she just maybe did it once because right. people do that stuff she just had once. a craft station to make imitation substances under her desk and a crack pipe. One time thing. I think this merits some more questions. One time well, thing. And, and the, a number of members of the defense bar in Western Massachusetts would agree with both of you. Mm. And they were like, uh, I don't think she went from zero to stealing cocaine <laughs> from her desk. I think maybe. There's probably she, a progression there. Yeah, there might have been a little bit of uh, evidence manipulation or, or drug use prior to that. Um and so, as I said, the local DA's office are like, well, we're not touching it. We're not, we've recused ourselves. And the AG's office, at least for a hot minute, was like, yeah, shut up. So one of these guys that they showcase in the documentary, he's a defense attorney out West in Massachusetts by the name of Luke Ryan. And he, they, they focus in part on- Two first names. He, um, Two first names, can't be trusted. He was defending a guy by the name of Rolando Pinate, who I guess, I think they said he was a Cuban refugee. That is a name. Right? And um, basically he thought that perhaps Pinate's case would be dismissed, his his conviction vacated, whatever, because, um, or actually I mean, he wasn't convicted at that point. His charges would be dismissed because of, of Farrick being the one who did the testing. 
And the DA in that county was like, mm, I mean, yeah, Farrick did the testing. And we know that she's alleged to have manipulated evidence in other cases. But and so we're not going to put her on the stand. We're not going to rely on her. She's been discredited. But we're going to get another officer who we can qualify as an expert. And he's going to say, in my estimation, it's, it's heroin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. An officer? That's what they said. Who did not do any testing? Yeah, apparently it was like... I, or are they still field testing at that shaky. point? But field test, I wouldn't think, would, would be admissible. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like basically... In they, Desperate times. They, they let a, like a task force officer go, looks like heroin to me. And basically that... Training and experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so the other thing that was interesting was, and I'll have to... I'll, I'll, have to, I'll get to that later, but how all that shook out. But okay, so... Maybe I'll skip ahead. This guy, Pinate, is getting can, getting prosecuted. And I'm going off script. Woo. My man, Pinate, is getting prosecuted for slanging Heron. Oh, and, Ronaldo. Yeah, come on, Ronaldo. You know, Rolando. <laughs> <laughs> Ronaldo, Rolando, whatever. Mr. Pinate. Uh, he, he sold $20 worth of heroin, apparently. And um, I don't know if it was to a CI or to a UC or whatever. But amid... The ferric disclosure, the fact that this was going down, there were 15 or 16 separate defendants who were trying to gain access to the investigative file that the attorney general's office had amassed to try to find exculpatory evidence for mm -hmm. their cases. Makes sense. And the AG's office said, screw you. This is part of an ongoing prosecution. We are not giving over evidence until this case is concluded. Ain't Unders happening. I also understand yeah, that. That tracks. Ain't happening. Pound sand. So I don't know if this came from the Supreme Court or if it was just kind of some decision among judges, a chief judge somewhere decided. But basically, a judge by the name of Jeffrey Kinder got appointed to... Uh, in 2013, to he got deal a, with all this mess. Yes, he was mm -hmm. the judge who was to oversee all of the discovery requests for this ferric related litigation. OK. And specifically, he was to determine when the. Drug use, the manipulation of any evidence, when when the misconduct uh, commenced to see whether their discovery requests pertain to relevant information or not. And um, that sounds fair. Basically, the point of contact at the attorney general's office was an assistant attorney general by the name of Chris Foster. And she at the hearing. Basically, these defense attorneys said, look, we've been trying, we've been trying, we've been trying. She keeps saying, I've given you everything. There's nothing here that's relevant. And so then Judge Kinder puts her on the spot and says, um, Tell me in sort of general terms what it is that you still possess that you have not disclosed. They believe you have more. Do you have anything else? And if tell so, me tell me is. generally what it is. Yeah. And she says, why? Well, I can't. And he goes, come again? Mm. Why can't you tell me what it is? She goes, mm. well, because everything they're asking for is so patently irrelevant. I've not looked at it. What? What? How so it's not going to go good for Chris. Yeah. No, that, was so, a, that was a bad answer. Chris. It's not he, go good. The, they had a um, like a, a legal 
like a courtroom beat reporter who handles that area of the state. And they were like, oh, she was like, Judge Kinder is a really even keel guy. It's very difficult to get him to emote. And when um, when this when, when AAG Foster said that, when Chris Foster said that, he lost his fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so, yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Basically, he orders her to go back, to examine the evidence and and tell me what, what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and she then on official attorney general's office letterhead writes a letter that says every document in the sergeant with the state police who I guess accumulated all of it. Sergeant mm-hmm. Ballou, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Every document in his possession has already been disclosed. Quote, quote unquote, everything has been disclosed. Raymond, you've I, quoted this for me. That leads me to believe that maybe that's a dry lab. That's that would, I suppose. <laughs> There's she, probably a lot of other documents in other people's possessions. She oh. says every document that the attorney general's office has as part of the investigation into Sonia Farrick and in the prosecution of her, I have given to defense counsel. There is nothing else to give. And so he goes, you're an officer of the court. Take your word for it. If, uh, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. Your motion to do whatever to to gain access so to the physical files. She says we've given them everything in the entire investigation. Yes. And he goes, okay. Then defense attorneys get lost. Motion denied. And I guess based upon the evidence that was offered at that hearing, he comes to the official conclusion as part of this kinder consolidation of cases yeah. that the Misconduct started in July of 2012. So if you... To January 2013 is what you get popped. Yes. So what is that? Four months? Five? Six? Six six months? Six. Six. You just told us a story with dates, Ray. I know. (laughs) It's real wrong. Mm. So so Pinate is getting prosecuted amid all of this kinder stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, basically... This guy, Luke Ryan, who's who's defending him, is losing his mind because amid that case, the judge, whoever presided over that trial, ruled that um, that's not admissible evidence. What is going on with Sonia Farrick is not admissible because your guys, the testing of your guys' drugs happened in 2011. Oh. And... This stuff happened in July of 2012 and thereafter. But I mean, I get that. I get that ruling. If a judge has found, if if they've said this dude is in charge of getting to the bottom of these discovery issues for all these cases, and that judge has a ruling that says July 2012 and your shit was pre-July 2012, why is this stuff relevant? I get that. Right. I mean, it's, I get it. So Pinate goes on trial. And the uh, defense is not able to put on any evidence of Farrick's, not make any mention whatsoever of Farrick's case. Mm-hmm. And well, she still doesn't testify, right? Huh? Yeah, this is the so one their evidence is entirely expert, an officer, right? Who goes looks like heroin to me. I don't understand how that's enough. Mm. And so Pinate gets convicted. Oh, um, don't feel bad, Cheryl. He probably did it. <laughs> you're right. I, <laughs> Let's be real. He, he, done, be real. he done did it. He, he just he got screwed by He was slinging that hair on. He um, did it. But so so then, and this is why it kind of gets a little convoluted because you got to jump forward and backwards. So mm-hmm. in August of 13, while the Pinate stuff is, is going down, um, and now we're what, 
seven months after Ferrick getting arrested, Luke Ryan is still trying to get all of these documents for the attorney general's office. And this, uh, I can never remember her last name, Chris Foster. Foster. Mm-hmm. She uh, sends an email to Ryan with all of these documents. It's thousands and thousands of pages of material. And um, 2,500 pages of it are manuals to lab microscopes, uh, the spectrometer, just all kinds of bullshit. They're burying these defense attorneys in nonsense, non-responsive paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, you asked for it. Yeah. <laughs> I but told you it wasn't relevant. One thing they get, uh, one one sample they or one portion that they get are photographs of her car when they, you know, executed the search warrant, everything they pulled out of it, the mm-hmm. cocaine they found. And in the trunk, it is just full of like manila envelopes and all this paperwork. And it looks like basically a lot of drug samples, you know, or at least documents relevant to her job are in this the trunk of this car. And within this document dump, there were there was a three page police report that said it. Um, here are the items that we pulled out of that car mm-hmm. and an inventory. And there were multiple references. I think it was like 60 in total to assorted lab paperwork, whatever that meant. Mm. And apparently this, all this assorted lab paperwork was enough to fill up like three bankers boxes of just shit. Hmm. And Ryan uh, is, he continues to try to get access to this assorted lab paperwork. He's like, okay, that's just such a, you know, a non-descriptive generic, right. yeah, generic right. title. I want to know what that is. That could be something. You say, okay, you've given me everything, but you haven't given me all Those of things. this assorted right. lab paperwork. You, right. You've not given me everything. Um, he files a motion to inspect the discovery. She files a motion to quash. You've got the whole Kinder thing. Kinder says, nah, get mm-hmm. out of here. Mm-hmm. So then in 2014, oh, and that was the other thing. That was, that was kind of sad. He they talked about, I guess, after Farrick got arrested, certain judges, uh, a lot of judges were giving people stays of their sentences and people who were incarcerated were, you know, on bond. They were at liberty. And Kinder basically said, if you're testing, if your Farrick drug results predated July 2012, go back. And a lot of people who were free awaiting kind of the the true understanding of the fire of the ferric fallout mm-hmm. went back to prison hmm. um so i mean I, I guess in those cases though you could ask <clears throat> miss ferric i mean did you get high off that shit <laughs> then it was dope you think she go remember then you're right. it was dope do you ever hit anything and go mm, that just ain't hitting right right <laughs> Then yeah. he's just dope, and these dudes are guilty. I mean, okay, I'm sorry. Continue. She tested it before she did it. That's true. So she's got, you know, duple proof. Right. <laughs> so then, like I said. That's, that's the thing. It's bad behavior. But you're right. Our understanding is she tested the stuff yes. prior to smoking it, sniffing it, whatever she did it. With was it was definitely crack, which is why I smoked it. Exactly. So yeah, this is well, not an actual innocence defense. This is just looking for some technicality to get Stevie out of jail. Right. It's it's but the, the how testing. are you going to believe her testing procedures right, were right. honest and accurate if she's high off her ass yeah. when she's doing the whole time she's doing it? Yeah. I get that, but 
Yeah. <laughs> and dope. she's committing dishonest acts by replacing actual it's drugs with fake drugs. So yeah. you her credibility is zero. No, I'm, I'm not saying there shouldn't be a hubbub. There should absolutely be a hubbub. But you're not going to get that much sympathy from me. I mean, shut up. <laughs> you're dealing dope. Shut up. You, yeah, you, you didn't. You people, didn't, people get addicted to dope like this, and it ruins their lives. And you're dealing it. Go get fucked. Go to prison. You didn't get dukened. No, no, you didn't get <laughs> yeah. dukened. You weren't innocent, and then she done got right. you. You didn't get a. They those people didn't get a test at all. Yeah, no. right. I mean, they were probably they got dry too, Let's be real, but yeah, they got straight dry labbed. At least yeah. we she know was that high, one. She was high off her ass, but she was at least trying. Yeah, <laughs> we know that one. <laughs> I wish people could, could see, see his little tiny, little tiny hand movements. She was trying. trying. She's trying real hard. But that, she can't but see you know, shit, but she's, right. she's trying. But that girl. She can see. What do you mean she can't? She can see every granule of if she's on, shit. If she's on meth, yeah, she's superwoman. Yeah. But she that other broad, she had, she had a poor schmuck who it wasn't dope. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's and, true. And she sprinkled some crack on it. Now, yeah, and that's true. I mean, Dukin did get prosecuted and convicted as part of her plea agreement. She she pled to perjury. Right. There was never any such allegation against Farrick. Right. But that's part of the what I was going to transition into next is her Farrick's sentence. She pled straight up to the two counts of tampering mm -hmm. and the possession of cocaine. Mm -hmm. And she got 18 months in prison. Mm -hmm. Um. And a number of members of the legal community, some of which that they, they interviewed uh, were prosecutors mm -hmm. at the, the state level, not the AG's you know, local level, right. uh, dif different district attorneys. They thought that that was a super sweetheart deal. What you going to charge her with? Well, I what guess you prove? They, they were saying that, I, I don't know, they'd have to go back and look, but they were basically more or less like there's no chance that the scope of the evidence manipulation i mean i guess they would have to go back into the lab and retest all right. of them and see that oh this is inert and she said it was a controlled substance it would have so she must have refilled money. this and yeah. all that yeah and basically to go back they didn't and want prove, to do it right so i think it'd be very difficult even if you be. had the funds i think that would be difficult to prove how far back she was stealing dope but you know she stole some dope you know she was in possession of it she bled straight up and i mean that sounds it sounds maximum-y no 18 18 months? I agree with you. You probably aren't going to be able to prove much more. But again, I'm waiting to hear the fallout and the scope of what happened to all these cases. Like, did they eventually figure out she'd been smoking that crack for this long? Well, she had to. How many people did they set free who were guilty? How many people who they don't know were guilty were in jail? Like, I need to know the fallout from this. <laughs> well, we know at some point she's got to give some kind of debrief. Otherwise, right, Raymond wouldn't have this information. Right, because she gave lots of information. Right. She did. She, and, and that comes in about a year or so, but she... Part um, of the deal? She's got she's to spill the beans? I think, I think what they did was the they beans. said... For and, and I'm, I could be wrong about this, but I think sort of what they did was for this conduct right here, this is what your deal is going to be. Mm -hmm. You're going to you're going to take these 18 months and more or less, we're not going to investigate anything else. We're going to we're going to stop looking back into your history and see what all happened and give you a grant of immunity. But you've got to testify to everything at grand jury Ooh. and see, you know, maybe if she had co-defendants or whatever you right. know so she she testified and uh at the grand jury and i think it was for multiple days she was on the stand just talking about all this shit wow. um but yeah i so, still think she's less culpable than the other broad 
Oh, I tend to agree with that. I, I mean, mean, like she I said, made a mistake, it's not malicious. It right. I mean, so this is what dope fiends do. It's not excusable, but it's not malicious. Like right. you're just sitting there going, mm, heroin, because I need to keep my numbers inflated. Right. Like, I don't know. But yeah, so the the 18 months in prison aroused the suspicion of a number of folks that were like, hmm, this certainly seems that, you know, given the fact that the Dukin thing is going on too, the state has egg on its face. It, this is really, a, you know, a, an international scandal. Um, we kind of just want to limit the scope, the fallout with, with um, Farrick. So... Now, the Farrick prosecution has come to a conclusion, and this Luke Ryan dude is still badgering the attorney general's office. I want to see this evidence. I want to see it. And finally, they, all right, well, our ongoing prosecution excuse is no longer valid. Well, they relented and they let him see it. So he goes into the, uh, he goes to Boston from, from Western Massachusetts, goes to the attorney general's office. I think he said he went to the 19th floor and there in a conference room were these boxes of evidence sitting there. And there was a trooper standing watch over them. And he just goes through them and he's not allowed to take them or anything, but I guess they let him take notes and he was able to take pictures with his cell phone and he's going through them. And he notices that there are counseling records that show that Farrick had been in drug treatment and sort of like mental health counseling for years. Oh, do what? Yeah. So at some point she's trying to go get help because she realizes that she's spiraling. Oh, oh yeah. I think she knew that she had an addiction and was sort of half-assed trying to address it, but just, I don't, I don't she know. She should probably have quit her job and stopped right. working around all them drugs. Right. Yeah. You would think that would be what, like you said, you know, an ad educated, rational person would do, but she did not. And so this if I dude. I her, I'd have got in the dope game. Right. <laughs> and so this dude finds one document in particular from, it says something to do with ServiceNet. I guess that's a, a document that demonstrates, uh, you know, service records from these particular service providers, mental health service providers. And that sounds, that sounds HIPAA though. I mean, like how's they just letting him go through her stuff? Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. I digress. And it said that on December 22, no year, she, it was kind of like she had to maintain these logs about how she was feeling, how she was doing with her addiction and so on. And she said on December 22, no year, um, despite trying to resist urges, she used drugs at work that day. And I think that was a Thursday. And it caught his eye because he recalled that Farrick did the drug testing on Pinate's case back in December of 2011. He couldn't. Um, but he, this he didn't have a year on it. This right, document. Right. But so, it was the December 22nd on a Thursday. Yes. Mm. So he he goes back at, he goes back to his office and he looks and he he finds that the Pinate drug certifications were signed by Sonia Farrick on December twenty second, twenty eleven. So he's got the certs December 22, 2011, and then this notation on a piece of paper that says, "I did dope on the job on December twenty two." Just doesn't have the year. But then he looks a little further and it says. That Saturday, 1224, 
something happened and I was pissed off that I didn't get to watch the whole Pats game. And so then he's like, well, when's the last time that the Patriots played a football game on a Saturday that was Christmas Eve, no less? Let me go on the Google machines and find it. And lo and behold, it was December 24th, 2011. So on the 22nd... Your client still slung, slung hair on. That I'm is sorry, true. That but is true. Continue. But she says, I was high when I did the drug test oh. for Rolando Pinate mm. that same day. Um, and interestingly, I guess they talked about how, um, she, she said in her grand jury testimony that she actually remembered that exact day. She testified before the grand jury in September of 15. And she says, I remember using drugs. Yeah. That Thursday in December of 11. And they were like, well, how do you remember that? And she says, well, um, I started the day by, by, by crushing some crack rock. I was, I was smoking cracks, uh, Joe Rogan. And, uh, in the late AM was one of the first times I had fucked around with liquid LSD and it fucked me up. I did not feel well. I saw little green, like army men walking around and the, it was like Pocahontas. I could see the colors of the wind. It's like straight up. All she right, was like the wind right. had colors and there were all little right. green men. And I was fucking, I was all right. Rolando, Rolando gets out of jail. That's fine. It's fine. Rolando gets out of jail. And she testified before wow. the grand jury that although I do recall that stuff in the AM, my drug use and how fucked off my ass I was, I don't recall at all doing any testing. I did testing in the morning while I'm smoking crack, but I don't remember doing any testing that PM. And they had some kind of, I guess in this assorted lab paperwork, they found something almost akin to bench notes where she has some sort of log of what she did and when, like what testing she did and when. And she had actually done the pinate testing in the PM that day, which she has no recollection. Of. All right. All right. Pinate gets out of jail. I, you know, but again, again, she smokes crack. First thing when she gets to work, everybody's having their coffee or their tea. If you're weird, she's hitting the crack rock. By the afternoon, she is seeing the colors of the wind, tripping balls on LSD, and nobody in this, nobody up in this dancery freaking realizes that she is tripping balls. I guess not. <laughs> like not. Unbelievable. Do you think you would know if I was on LSD? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think I would know. There's probably only a handful of people up in this office, and I'm maybe two, that I would not know that they were tripping balls. <laughs> you might not know Garrett's tripping balls. Well, yeah. That guy. He's an odd bird. Yeah. <laughs> Love him to death. But uh, um, I think you would. Yeah, I think so too. But so. In 2015, now you have a changing of the guard at the attorney general's office. Martha Coakley is no longer the attorney general. Um, and like I said, it just was interesting to me that it, I mentioned it in the Dukin thing that that Melendez Diaz decision decision from the Supreme Court that was like, oh, yeah, the Sixth Amendment right to confrontation is a thing mm -hmm. that Coakley was the one who argued it on behalf of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Yeah. And then. She's the one who, as soon as the allegations against Farrick come out, goes and does a very public presser and is like, it's just these two cases. 
don't trip. Yeah. It's just these two. It's not a good look for Coakley. And then she leaves the attorney general's office and becomes not general counsel for the artist jewel, mm. but for the vape company, which mm. was just strange to me. But so now in 2015, Dude, I bet she got rich. Yeah, she probably got paid. But so we have a new attorney general in, um, in Massachusetts and Ryan sends her this, I can't ever remember his name. Jack Ryan sends her a letter. <laughs> Luke Ryan, I believe. Luke ah, Ryan, thank you. Is. Yeah. Sends her a letter and says, yo, you need to like actually figure out if there was any misconduct on the part of the prior attorney general's office administration with respect to hiding evidence. And she appoints more or less a commission to investigate it that is comprised of two retired judges and still additional Massachusetts state police officers. Um, and they subsequently issue a report that says there was no professional misconduct on behalf of the attorney general's office in the handling and or refusal to uh, provide this what? evidence. Provide those ev that evidence that eventually <clears throat> showed she had tripped she had smoked crack and trip balls on LSD the same day that she did that testing. And yes. does not remember a lick of it. In fact, swore under oath that she had not tested anything because she does not remember it. Yes. And now I, I did, because of being a slacker, I did miss this part of the, the last episode. I don't recall whether it was like a FOIA request or if it was part of him going, okay, that's your report, but let me look at the things you reviewed and they gave it to him or whatever. But somehow Jack Ryan gets his hands on uh gets his hands on a whole host of emails internal emails oh. from the attorney general's office and there were lots of emails that indicated not indicated clearly demonstrated the assistant attorney generals involved this um the, the one, the POC, Chris, whatever Foster, Foster thank you, you. And her boss, somebody Kazmarek, they uh, absolutely knew about the dope, 100% knew. And they knew that they had responsive documents and weren't going to give it to Ryan. Like they had emails between them talking shit about Ryan. And there was one that they showed like where they just, you know, zoomed in a little bit. And it actually said, quote, do not give this attorney an inch. They knew they had it and they would not give it over. So, But they also made a statement, a written statement to the court that they did not have anything further. And then they, and I missed this part too. You can tell these people don't try cases, all I'm saying. Right. And then I, I don't know what they do. But they I missed that cases. part too. I don't know exactly how it happened, but there was a hearing. I don't know if it was part of a habeas or what, but somehow they showed at the end uh, a sequence where Luke Ryan had um these deputies attorney general on the stand testifying about what they knew and when and if they sat on it and so forth and prosecutor testifying yeah dude makes me uncomfortable right, right? it was not um, fun i've done it once and i bet you were great though. oh she was great she was, I was gonna say right i think katie's the one who asked me she, questions she did katie yeah. questioned you but i i watched it um but yes, yeah, so they more or less, and I'll be honest with you, I've read a couple of articles about it, um, and I do not understand. They apparently have in, in Massachusetts a number of different offices involved in um, overseeing 
conduct of attorneys, something with a special hearing officer with the board of bar overseers. But then there's uh, the office of bar counsel and there's shit with here's the recommended uh, sanction for some of these prosecutors and that decision or that recommendation is being appealed. But basically uh, one of the Be last being appealed presently, we're talking about stuff from 2011, 2012, 2013. Yes, and, it, and, and so she gets popped in 13, and then I think all of the stuff with Ryan and trying to get these emails, that bleeds into maybe 15, 16. But the last article I was able to find uh, was December 23 of 21, so just a few months ago, and there have been appeals filed over the uh, proposed sanctions that range from two-year uh, suspension to, you know, permanent annulment. Um, but basically the judicial reprimand that, or, or official um, reprimand that is going to happen, the consequences for these prosecutors, we don't even know yet today. Dang. And at least as far- I mean, don't, don't lie. Right. Like straight, don't lie. It's not hard. No. I don't understand That's that. Like, lawyers. Just that, don't lie. Right. I, I, that one really blows my mind when the judge apparently asked her, you know, um, Point blank. Do you have anything relevant? She's like, no, gave it to him. What do you mean? Or what? I've given everything we have. Well, what 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 else do you have? I don't know. I haven't looked at it. So how do you know you've given everything? Mm. And then tell me what you've got. We gave everything promise. And then their emails that that was just a flat lie. Um, and I got no pity for them. No. None. And there was a, I think it was, there was something to do with, I don't know if it was the Supreme Court or some disciplinary board but yeah they said that um oh they absolutely perpetrated a fraud was the word they used against mm -hmm. the court um but yeah still as of you know basically january of this year what's going to happen to them is to be determined but as it relates to the defendants that were um had their, had their drugs tested by ferric mm -hmm. i guess the new um attorney general, at least the new attorney general back in 2015, she kind of did what, for the most part, what the um, Suffolk County district attorney did and was like, we're just punting them all. Yeah. So between Dukin and Farrick, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts dismissed more or dismissed and or vacated more than 35,000 drug cases. Wow. Happy drug dealers. Yo, yeah. I'm saying. Anger constituents. Yep. Mm. So, yeah. Wow, that, that is the Massachusetts drug scandal that until like a month ago, I knew nothing I'm of. just surprised by that. Right? Like, we've all been, all of us, this is this is something that's happened during our, our crime time here. Our, right. Our, weird. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy how wide ranging and it, like how deep that scandal is, and yet most people have never heard of it. Wow. But yeah, that is the uh, Massachusetts drug lab scandal. Sonia Farrick and Annie Dukin. I think you did a great job, Ray. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you did a really great job. I'm just still just in shock. Yeah, <laughs> just right. Everybody, down. everybody doing the wrong right. thing. Right, and at the same time on like totally parallel tracks. Yeah. You know I mean, they weren't even working in tandem. Just they didn't even probably know each other. And then, and here's my thing. Ah, if 
So don't lie. Don't lie to the judge. Yeah, right. And if you're the AG, why? Like, why not show a sign of force that you're coming after these nefarious MFers? You know, like, why are you going to bat and lying to a judge right. for this broad? Right. No. I know you're trying to save face, but you're not saving any face. You're just, you're looking Making, cover you're up. compounding it. the situation. Yeah. Oh. So now they can't trust their lab or their AG's office. Because what happens in the dark will always come to light. Oh, true. <whistles> it may just true. take a while. But, but you won't happen. get found out. Mm-hmm. Yes, you will indeed. Well, Raymond, uh, I applaud you. I think that, that was a great one-two punch. Thanks, buddy. Uh, I uh, you got you got any lasting tidbits here for us? You anything on the tip of your tongue? No, man. I think no? that was it. It's just crazy. I mean, there were some secondary points of discussion in that uh, documentary that maybe we could address in other episodes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, as far as the facts, kind of as I understand them generally of what what transpired, that's it. It's just it's just crazy. Figure, you know, thirty five thousand cases just gone, gone, done because of the misdeeds of. Two, two people. people. Mm. It's that butterfly effect. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I thought you all would like that because it is, you know, from our perspective being prosecutors, like it's just, it gives me it's, heartburn. It's just terrifying, it. yeah. isn't it? Like just makes you feel nauseous. Uh, but yeah. Well, if it makes you feel nauseous, you can tell us about it. That's true. Please do. At uh, no true bill podcast at gmail.com. That's where you can find us. Give us comments, constructive criticism, just, plain old criticism uh, or anything else. We'd really appreciate it. Um, whew, yeah, I need a drink after that. So from all of us to you, until next time, y'all stay out of trouble. Ray been out here not podcasting. Right. He's had weeks since mm. our last podcast mm. to prepare his episodes. Mm. We did one. Now he won't do the other one. Right. we got to finish it. Yeah. We ready to finish? Yeah. We have the time and opportunity to finish. It's obvious he knows all about this chick. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Let's give Ray a call. Yeah. Yo, what up, Ray? What's good? <clears throat> Not you. Oh!